foul. We'll take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucon to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Gets by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose. And it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four-yard line. A turnover. And the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsey. He's gone. Lindsey's gone. Montez with all kinds of time. Here's back, rifles it downfield. Shea Fields on the left shoulder makes the grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play, Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a little while since we've recorded one of these. Yeah, the early signing period makes it a little more of an interesting schedule for us. Uh, we haven't talked a whole lot about this class because they've all been signed for two months. What's new with you? You got a promotion not too long ago? Yeah, working super hard? busy. Um, a lot of back office related stuff at work that people don't really think happens at a bar, I guess. But I'm, I run the bar program there now, so a lot of decision making, I guess, and a lot of staring at computers and office walls, and it's a totally different job than what I was doing before. So it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, the responsibility is cool, but yeah. So we have a lot to talk about. Again, it's been a while since we've recorded one of these podcasts. We're going to start out with some football recruiting topics and kind of transitioning into general football topics before we jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. And, and during that, we'll transition over to men's basketball talk. Tyler, let's just kind of get your general thoughts uh, for the early signing period. We did a video for all 20 of the signees, so people can go back there and kind of get our thoughts on each of those kids. But Alex Changham from De Anza College, a pass rusher, comes in. He's the only guy that signs a letter of intent during the regular signing period. Uh, obviously, Trayvon McMillan signs a financial aid agreement, uh, expected to transfer over from Virginia Tech once he gets that finance degree. Your, kind of your thoughts on those two guys? Well, McMillan is, I think, probably your favorite to come in right away and start at running back, which is nice pickup, obviously, because replacing Phil Lindsay is next to impossible for not only on the field, but off the field as well. We've heard a lot about McMillan being a natural-born leader, too, so it would be nice for to have somebody fill in that role um, to some degree as well. You know, this guy's got over 2,000 career yards and I think 15 touchdowns in, in a good program. I mean, he led, the, he led Virginia Tech in rushing all three years he was there from the running back position until I mean he was leading the team until the bowl game mm-hmm. this past year, which he didn't play in. So yeah, I mean I think it's a quality guy that you can plug and play right away and give some of the younger guys who we think have a lot of potential a little more time to develop. Watching his highlights from Virginia Tech, he looks different than the back CU's fielded in recent yeah. years. Yeah, I agree. He's a bigger body. Uh, for sure, but he does seem to be pretty capable of catching the ball out of the backfield, which we do like to do that a lot. We use obviously use fill out of the backfield a lot, um, catching passes. So, yeah, it's going to be probably a transition in terms of how we use him, but I think that's a pretty good body. Alex Changum, 
not really 100% sure what you're going to get out of him yet. We haven't seen a whole lot. He seemed to kind of blow up late in the process. I mean, physically, he's obviously ready to go. He's about as yoked as you could expect. Uh, you know, they have a lot of guys at this one pass rusher position. You figure one of them is going to have to pan out and play pretty well for us. But uh, we definitely do need to figure out who that one person is going to be. Given how many guys they have on scholarship at outside linebacker, even with some attrition there, signing Chang to me tells me that they don't like what they have from a pass rush standpoint with those guys. Now, don't get me wrong, Jacob Collier definitely showed flashes there, but the weakness in his game in terms of run support is, is an issue. Dante Spiraco, we really both, both like him a lot, but he's not a Jimmy Gilbert dynamic pass rush type. Yeah, I personally think he should be bulked up and played inside. We've talked about that a mm-hmm. ton. Um, so we'll see eventually if that happens. But, yeah, to me, there's all those guys have – considerable flaws which makes it tough to rely on long term now you only have them most of the time there's only going to be one of those guys playing at once and if you have Davion Taylor and Drew Lewis they'll both look like guys who can rush the passer at different positions on the field maybe you can alleviate some of those concerns but we'll have to see you did some research in terms of the recruiting class and kind of how it stacks up against recent yeah. recruiting classes what's kind of what was your main takeaway from doing that research from a rankings perspective we're in pretty good shape it's the third highest average so obviously at 247 we use specific number rankings 81 87 whatever it may be so I went in and averaged all those you come up with a number and then you compare that number to what we did in previous years this is the third highest ranking score since 2006 um, so pretty good. And last year's class was actually the second highest. So the last two classes for McIntyre have been pretty solid. I think we, in, in a couple of years, we'll see the fruits of the labor there in terms of b- this program being in pretty good shape moving forward. Um, I still think the main concerns are what they always are on the, in the trenches on both sides. Um, we got some guys on D-line, a few O-linemen. Uh, I, I think the O-line class wasn't as strong as last year's for sure. But uh, a few of those D-linemen are going to have to step up and be – productive this year or I don't know if it matters a whole lot what the rest of these guys do on the field we're going to talk more about the new assistant coaches but with Quan Drake in general I think the goal there is to get if you can get three studs per recruiting class in a couple of years your team is going to be in much better position mm-hmm. they've recently been getting you know I guess just the last two years Terrence Lang last year and then Israel Antoine won this year that's not enough just getting more yeah, of those guys. Yeah, I mean, you definitely need to find more talent at that position. Now, both of those guys have to pan out, too. Um, I mean, Lang, we feel pretty good about, but he hasn't been on the field yet, so it's hard to really say. Antoine, same thing. Um, we haven't had a ton of success with the higher-ranked D-lineman guys here in the past 10 years. So, um, getting, you know, it, you only have to play three in a 3-4, obviously, so that helps a little bit. But uh, you got to find three, and right now we don't have three, which, you know, it makes it tough on the rest of the defense. Mike McIntyre had another press conference uh, the first day of the regular signing period. There wasn't a whole lot to take from that just because he had already run through the, the 20 early signees. But a couple things that I thought interesting, he said Kanan Ray was their top-rated offensive lineman on their board last year. You watch his film. That doesn't surprise me, honestly. Aside from the injuries, which it's going to take him a little time to, to get 100%. You can't. I don't obviously expect him to have an impact in 2018, but... He looks like a, a four-year starter, if, if healthy, maybe beginning in 2019. Yeah, they feel pretty good about him uh, when he's 100% healthy. Obviously, the injuries, you don't know exactly how he's going to come back from all that stuff. But I think it's a worthy flyer. I mean, obviously, you need more talented linemen. And uh, if that pans out, it's going to pan out extremely well. So, yeah, I agree that this year they're probably going to take it slow with him, make sure he gets back to 100%. 
Uh, but hopefully he does get to that point because I think he could be a guy who plays a ton for you moving on from that yeah. point. Mike McIntyre also mentioned that Hassan Hippolyte is another signee that he thinks is physically ready to compete in the Pac-12 as a freshman. Uh, you were at the signing day celebration on Thursday. I was there as well. What were your main takeaways from that event? Uh, it, yeah, it's basically the same every year. I mean, this year was a little bit different because we had already we've already gone over most of these guys because they've been signed for so long. Uh, I was a guy I like Hippolyte a lot as well, so it was interesting to see McIntyre talk highly about him. Uh, surprised to see him talk so much about Frank Phillip being a guy they expect to play right away. Uh, he, even he admitted most linemen you don't have that conversation mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, I think he's a guy who's good. He's got a lot of potential, but it would surprise me to see him play right away just from a size perspective. He's getting bigger for sure, but it's tough for an 18-year-old to play against D linemen that are 22. Um, so I would say if he ends up starting this year, that says a lot about the depth at line and how concerned we are long-term. No, I mean, we'll see. Maybe he turns out to be a guy who's a first-round pick and an absolute stud. But uh, I think it initially that concerns me a little bit that they're trying to consider that. They were looking at the grad transfer market. Casey Tucker was one of the guys they had targeted to try to come in and you know potentially be a starting left tackle, kind of bridge that gap. That's a tough market, though. Those guys oh, yeah. are hard to find, right? It's kind of like big men transferring in college basketball. There are not a whole lot of them out there. Casey Tucker was one. He decides to go to Arizona State instead of coming to Boulder. So I think that was maybe the one miss they had with recruiting. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a tough you only really have one chance there. Most of the left tackles that are starter quality are starting and not leaving schools. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been a nice grab. You have to feel pretty good about this t- the chance for this team to make a bowl game if somehow Casey Tucker comes on board. Uh, you know, most of your holes are pretty solidly filled at that point. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see if someone steps up and uh, hopefully they get these guys in the weight room and get them more physically ready for next year. Uh, McIntyre brought up Josh Kaiser when talking about guys that have stepped up as leaders this spring. That was interesting. Uh, he's a guy that people have may- maybe kind of written off just because he's more of a tweener. Uh, but he did start some games last year at tackle. He's the lone scholarship senior on that offensive line. Uh, do you take those comments to, to maybe lead you to believe that he's probably going to be a starter this year? Uh, I, I mean, I don't I think they necessarily always start the guy who's a leader. Uh, but I think it's important for him to, even if he's not, to be – that kind, you know, the leader for that offense, if need be, he can come in and be a guy if someone gets hurt. But I don't know if you're if you're the leader, it doesn't necessarily mean you're starting. Uh, I think they're going to try to take the guy who has the most talent. But um, yeah, I mean, he's he's in the running. There's no doubt. I, I I like him a lot more at tackle than I do at guard. They kept trying to play him at guard and practice him at guard. I don't like that a whole lot. He's pretty thin to be a guard. Darren Cheverini was talking about how he wants the past to, to set up the run, not the other way around. That'll be a change from what we have saw with them obviously leaning on Philip Lindsay to set up the pass in, in the last couple of years. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, that's a philosophy thing. I still think, I don't know, his offense more caters to a lot of those run or those pass plays, excuse me, are essentially a run just a quick out. You're trying to, you're not trying to get 15 yards. You're trying to get four or five, set you up in positions where second and third down are easier. Uh, so it's kind of just a, instead of actually just handing it off, it's the same basic concept. You're just trying to spread the defense out a little bit more. Ashley Ambrose, you can tell he's excited to be back in Boulder. Yeah. He said, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> to the crowd there that he's back. Yeah. back. Uh, kept his house in Golden. He's making that trek up and down 93 every day. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think he had success the last time he was in Boulder. He's had success in Boise. They've got a couple guys who have been drafted during his tenure there. 
Uh, I mean, you have to feel pretty good about where the secondary coaching coaches are right now between Mack and Shadon Brown and Ashley Ambrose and, you know, the, the level of talent that they're putting into the NFL at this point. I honestly think they don't have an excuse not to land a four-star secondary player yeah. this year. I mean, how, how could Colorado not be high on your list at this point? Yeah, Ambrose was one of the better coaches on Hawkins' staff, and I was kind of surprised that he wasn't retained when Embry came in. CU's final recruiting rankings, number 51 nationally on the composite, number 10 in the Pac-12. But if you look at the Pac-12, really not a whole lot separating basically right. 5 to 12. Yeah, and I honestly don't. I think this class is probably a little bit underrated. Honestly, a couple key injuries uh, probably kept some rankings down. You saw guys like Ray Robinson drop throughout the year, obviously, because of his injury. Deion Smith was a guy who was probably pegged as a potential four-star before he got hurt as well. Uh, you know, I mean, you just look at all of the guys we had in our class that big-time programs are going after down the stretch of the season. I wouldn't be surprised to see this class outperform its ranking. You could make a case to the two most important guys in this class, one from an immediate standpoint, Trayvon McMillan, and one from maybe a long-term standpoint in Kanan Ray, are guys that don't count towards your ranking either right. because they, Kanan Ray obviously signed with UCLA last year and McMillan's a tra grad transfer. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that part of it you need to throw in there too when you're talking about their ranking. Yep. This was the first year that I did crystal ball predictions, and uh, I kind of went into it dragging my feet. <laughs> but it actually is kind of a cool feature. Uh, I've kind of warmed up to it. I was 22 of 25, so 88%. It's pretty good. What'd it's pretty good. On? So here's, here's what frustrates me, though, is I predicted Israel Antwine to Oklahoma State. He committed there, so I was right. And I just forgot about it when... Because I think I broke the story that he was leaning towards signing with Colorado a couple of days before signing day, so I just forgot to change it. And then Maurice Wren, I predicted to, I think it was Texas Tech initially, he committed there and then decommitted later, and I just forgot to follow that. I think it was Arkansas, right, wasn't he? That he was oh, yeah, you're right, Arkansas, yeah. Arkansas. My only real miss was Patrick Sertain Jr. He went to Alabama instead of LSU. He had LSU as his frontrunner the whole time, so uh, that's the one that I actually feel okay about uh, missing out on. 2019 recruiting has already been heating up. Three early commitments, all in-state prospects. Ty Evans, quarterback down in the Colorado Springs area, and Josiah Davis from Valor Christian. We did uh, film room features on both of those guys, kind of breaking down their game. And recently, Austin Big Salsa Johnson from Highlands Ranch. Tyler, you and I saw him in person this, this fall. Uh, definitely the, the best nickname of a submit <laughs> maybe my entire time covering the program. Yeah, that's definitely one of the best nicknames there is. I liked it. Uh, they seem to like him inside. He's going to have to get a little bit wider, I think, for that to happen. But good athlete, especially at the high school level. You could see a lot of poles, uh, things like that. And during that game, you're just like, okay, this kid can move around a little bit. Uh, he's got a lot of room to grow still. So to me, he's a guy that's a fairly solid three-star. If he didn't commit early, he'd probably have six or seven power five options, I would say. Uh, not going to you know, light the world on fire in terms of your offensive line recruiting, but I think a very solid in-state get. Uh, you have to have those kind of guys year in and year out, too. They've offered two more 2019 in-state kids. One of them, Luke McCaffrey, I certainly wouldn't hold my breath there. I think he wants to play quarterback. I, I don't think that's the best position for him in college. I think he will eventually, even if a college recruits him as a quarterback, he'll get on campus and they'll move him to receiver at some point. Um, but the other guy to really keep an eye on is Barrett Miller, 
from Eagle Crest. I yeah. saw him in person this this fall. He's got maybe the most violent hands I've seen of an in-state kid. Yeah, he's the type of lineman that can actually change what you're doing offensively. He's a very physical kid, very violent, as you mentioned. Uh, I think they're going to go after him pretty hard. He seems to have interest in Colorado, but maybe some interest in other schools as well. So I think that one will be a little bit more of a battle. The ongoing in-state recruiting debate continues on. Uh, it's been happening now for the entire time I've covered the program. There are certain people in the state that think that CU owes it to these in-state kids to take, I don't know, what does McCarty think, that they should take basically their entire class every year? That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I don't know, four or five guys seems pretty legit to me. In an average year, there's what, seven, eight, ten guys who are power five guys, maybe not even that many. Like this year, there's only, right now, probably five five to seven. Yeah, so we're supposed to get 100% of those guys. I just don't find that to be all that realistic. Yeah. And then Dave Logan mentions the fact that they haven't offered Billy Pospisil on his radio show, and it sparks this Twitter debate. it's funny, when I first saw that pop up, I was like, no, I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> I'm not getting involved in this at all. And that Sunday, I'm sitting there watching golf, and Dave Logan's blowing up my phone trying to get his side of the story out. So it's like, all right, again, dragging my feet into this. I was not, I didn't, really didn't want to be a part of this, but it, it's crazy how that just really fires up certain people in the state. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's probably the same debate as ever. I mean, if you've ever coached, high school or middle school sports like every dad thinks their kid's the best player since Michael Jordan <laughs> it's like listen it's just not accurate man like I don't know what you want me to say not everybody's good enough to play at Colorado yeah let's transition into uh, some football topics here I want you to to rank the the three hires in terms of which which ones you like most Kurt Roper obviously taking over the quarterback's room Quan Drake at defensive line coach and Ashley Ambrose at cornerback. I'd probably have Ambrose first just because I know what we've seen out of him and he's a successful guy. Obviously, NFL pedigree. I think he fits in really well with that secondary room already. Um, so I think just from a comfort perspective, he would be the highest on my board. We don't know a lot about Roper and Drake. I mean, I think, uh, again, <laughs> Roper... <laughs> I feel like he could be Brian Lindgren's brother in terms of emotion. <laughs> like they're the, I was just giggling the whole recruiting lunch, and they're like the exact same person. Just like, no, he's not. Like, he's direct, which is cool, and you can tell he's definitely very technically savvy, and, you know, he, he's going to make quarterbacks do everything the right way 100% of the time, which is what you want in a quarterback coach. Uh, but <laughs> definitely not the dynamic uh, personality of Darren Cheverini. Quan Drake, I think, is totally opposite. A very personable guy. I think he's got an interesting story um, and will relate to these kids. Uh, he seems to have that ability to – he just seems like a friendly guy, a guy that you could confide in and talk to about pretty much anything. And uh, I think he's going to coach these guys hard, which is important. So for me, I guess I would say Roper too just because I think in terms of his experience, he's a little more advanced there. Uh, I, I would say Drake – I, I'm pretty high on. I think he has a chance to be pretty special, and I think he has a probably the highest upside of any of the three. But we just don't know yet. There's some attrition to talk about. Tight end Dylan Keeney, his career ended. Uh, th- that's that's a shame because I think this is a kid that had quite a bit of potential, but just could never stay healthy at CU. Yeah, I mean, you know, freak athlete at that position. Uh, you know, I, it would have nice. I don't really know what we would have gotten out of him because we never saw him healthy for any extended period of time. It didn't seem like uh, they used him a couple times in formations during games where he was wide open and didn't get the ball. 
Um, you know, so it's a bummer, you know, because I think he did have a bright future. It'd be interesting to see if he decides to try to play somewhere else or just kind of hangs up the cleats. He's had a tough injury history, so. Yeah. Taryn Hasselbeck and Michael Matthews, both outside linebackers, have decided they're going to get their degree this May and move on. That was the right decision. I think they could have certainly participated on special teams, but they weren't probably going to be battling for that starting job. Yeah, I mean, I think Taryn was a guy who played a decent enough snaps for us last year, but he's just undersized and not the greatest athlete you've ever seen. I mean, he's a guy who worked hard and don't really ever feel like he was in the wrong place or anything, just maybe a little bit overmatched at this level. Um, Matthews, yeah, I mean, just didn't seem like he didn't fit the system, first of all. Athletically, didn't really pan out for him either. So probably it's, it's tough to say good attrition, you know, like, these are all good kids, and you want to see them be successful. But probably two scholarships that wouldn't have played a whole lot of snaps this year. You can kind of rebuild where you need to with those. Yeah, they're they're both decent football players. They're guys that if they went to like the whack and played in a four three, I think both guys would be starters and pretty good players at that level. Mm-hmm. Just not in a three four, not at CU. At receiver, Lee Walker and Johnny Huntley have moved on. We've known about both of those for a little while. Again, that's a position like defensive back. They've recruited really well, and those guys, again, weren't, weren't going to get on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> pretty close to at this point, you're going to have some guys who are legitimately good transferring out of that wide receiver room because they're not going to be able to play. Uh, Huntley, I think athletically, just never – we saw this on film. We always kind of questioned his initial ranking. Back in the day, we were concerned about whether or not he could get open at this level, and I think that kind of panned out. He decided where he's going, and it's blanking on me now. I think a program that's about to turn D1. So I hope it works out for him because he's yeah. a good kid. Um, and Lee Walker, Mr. Lee Blocker, as they like to say, <laughs> uh, that'll be tough because I think he's a physical presence. But, again, there's just so much talent in that room now. He wasn't going to get as many snaps as he could elsewhere. Yeah. There's uh, some walk-ons that are moving on as well. The, the most notable guy in there is qu- quarterback Casey Marksbury. This is somebody that – uh, was basically their third quarterback last year because they wanted a uh, redshirt Tyler Lytle, obviously. Um, I mean, but the chances of him ever playing meaningful snaps in a game day is slim to none. I don't know if yeah. Casey, again, this is a guy that I think could transfer to a lower division. They, yeah. They've had some quarterback walk-ons do that before. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, Seth Lobato obviously had a great career at UNC. I mean, Ty Gange is the starter at a decent Nevada team right now. So, yeah, it's definitely happened before. Uh, yeah, I think he's a guy who's got some talent. But now we have a full quarterback room with, I think, four legitimate quarterbacks. So it would be tough for these walk-ons to get those minutes. Another random note, I just happened to see Christian Shaver's actually going to play his senior season at CSU Pueblo. Cool. Uh, the uh, assistant coach multi-year contracts were approved by the Board of Regents this week. The assistant coach salary pool is going to be up little more than a quarter of a million than, than last year. Gary Bernardi is the only assistant with a one-year deal on the staff right now. Reading between the lines, maybe. He also just... wasn't talking at the recruiting conference, so. <laughs> He's still on the staff. <laughs> sure, I guess, according to what they tell us. <laughs> Darren Cheverini and Clay- Clayton Adams will jump into three-year deals. DJ Elliott is going to be entering the second year of his three-year deal that he had last year. One thing that jumped out uh, with, with the announcement of these multi-year contracts is Drew Wilson, the strength and conditioning coach, gets a three-year contract. So that tells you they they like what he's doing. And they're going to put him to work this summer, <laughs> I would assume, <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah, you know, did CU get pushed around in the trenches at times last year? Certainly. But that, to me, was more of a recruiting thing than a strength and conditioning. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't just make any guy massive. That's not how it works. So it takes two sides of the coin to 
to make that work out. But um, yeah, I think we I think we've already heard a little bit of a, this is going to be a weeding out off season. Uh, I could see that being the case. So Drew Wilson's going to let it be known that these boys need to work hard. Linda Shoemaker, Jack Kroll, Irene Griego. They again prove that they're anti-athletics. If there are three people on that board of regents as a CU athletics fan that you want to disdain, those are the three right there. What did I miss? They were complaining about the the amount of time. Well, Linda Shoemaker abstained from voting on this, so she didn't agree oh, with these. Oh, on the contracts. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably the most egregious. But Jack Kroll just always whining about <laughs> the money that's being spent. Yeah, he has a couple quotes about how he doesn't agree with how much these coaches are getting paid. I mean, he could probably go be a regent at a school that doesn't have a football team. Just a thought. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's interesting. We don't allow politics on the inside the herd message board, but when it comes to the regents, we've kind of laxed on the rules. Like, this this stuff matters. It really does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a politic thing, I guess, to some degree, but I don't know. There's... It's a little different in that you either like sports or you don't. There are obviously both sides of the parties that people who like and don't. Yeah. So I just think you're an idiot regardless of what party affiliation you have if you don't understand what football does for a university. Yeah. CU is now at 88 scholarship commitments with five and a half months until camp. Uh, I pretty, feel pretty safe they're not going to have trouble getting down to that 85 number. I mean, it's five and a half months for a couple guys to maybe think, okay, I want to transfer or you gray shirt one or two of your signees or Mm -hmm. unfortunately when you have 88 guys on scholarship that are 18 to 22 years old, there's probably going to be a knucklehead or two in in that (laughs) bunch. There always does seem to be a knucklehead this time of year, so we'll see how it plays out. I prefer that's not how we get down to three scholarships, but you know, we'll see. (laughs) Spring practices are now set to begin on February 23rd, the spring showcase on March 17th. I actually like them calling it the spring showcase instead of the spring game because it did not resemble a game any time in recent years. It's not St. Patrick's Day, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Nobody from Denver is going to be at the spring showcase this year because they will all be hammered by noon. So they announced initially that the spring practices are going to be closed to the public and media. And then there was a, an update to the schedule, and in parentheses it says, it's yet to be determined if they're going to be open to the media or public. And then we started to get kind of optimistic and happy and thinking maybe we're going to get allowed in there. But now it sounds like, once again, they're planning to close them up. Mike McIntyre is the one that is making the call there. No comment. It's good for podcasting. <laughs> we actually got a question about that, uh, about close practices. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a few minutes. Shamar Hamilton will be back in the mix practicing at outside linebacker this spring. And both Jalen Jackson and Jason Sanchez will be able to participate this spring. Those guys were all injured last season, with Jalen Jackson in particular. I, I just really hope that kid can stay healthy now. That's, he's had a rough go at it. Yeah, we almost got lucky, I guess, a little bit with that injury last year. I mean, he's obviously out for the year, but we thought it was an ACL again, and that probably would have been the end of his career. So the fact that he can come back um, and give it another go, I hope they're smart with him because, I mean, look at the guys. He's not playing this year probably, right? I mean, there's a lot of talent ahead of him. Um, so I hope they take it slow with him and maybe try to get some good weight on him so he's a little more sturdy. 
Uh, but yeah, I'll be rooting for him as well. Is that a tough go? Yeah, he had kind of the Gordon Hayward injury. Apparently, we were at that scrimmage, but I'm kind of glad we were far away and didn't really yeah. get a good close view of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jason Sanchez, I think, is more special teams type guy. I don't really think he's going to factor in at safety. Shamar Hamilton is interesting. He's either a guy that could maybe be a wild card there or, again, maybe a guy that just is not a Pac-12 football player. It's hard to say because he got hurt yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Pretty early when he yeah, got we in. didn't really hear a whole lot about him before he got injured. So, I mean, he's, a, he's extremely athletic in terms of foot speed. So, we'll see if maybe he can get it all together. It's obviously tough when you're coming from Juco. Not a lot of football experience to begin with. And then he gets hurt right away. It's going to be a tough transition for him. Aaron Maddox, one of their junior college mid-year additions, is going to be out this spring. He had shoulder surgery. I guess he played his freshman season with a torn labrum. That's actually, you hear about that a lot. These kids come in from high school to JUCO ranks where they don't really have a good medical staff, and then they start uh, you know, complaining about a sore shoulder. They go in, and sure enough, they have a torn labrum. That's actually Bryce Bobo is another. I think there were like three guys last offseason that had to have surgery for that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bummer, though, because he was somebody that was going to be you know, battling for a starting job. Yeah. He's a four to play three guy though, right? Right. So yeah. at least he has that red shirt if necessary to rehab from that. He shouldn't need to, but um, coming in freshman year, I think, yeah. All right. I mean, sophomore year, sorry. They'll, they'll be looking at him in the fall as a potential starter. Vanderbilt punter Sam Loy has announced that he's planning to transfer to CU this summer. He's going to be joining the program as a walk-on this June, but it sounds like after Alex Kinney graduates this coming year, uh, he'll most likely be placed on scholarship. And uh, They did a lot of the rugby-style stuff with Sam Loy at Vanderbilt. He didn't want to do that. He feels like he's a much better punter doing it the pro-style way. Uh, so it his numbers were pretty good, and he was not comfortable with what they were asking him to do. So it's encouraging. It seems like he's going to most likely be the starter in 2019, 2020. Yeah, and it's always nice to be solid at those special teams positions. I mean, you look at how much we struggled in other facets. Last year we were still at 5-7. and seven. Those special, special teams were dramatically improved for the most part last year. Isaiah Oliver is going out to the NFL Combine. The only buff that got an invite to that. Is he going to be the only CU player drafted in April? I mean, I hope not. But, yeah, it does kind of feel like that right now. Um, Who's the second most likely? Bryce Bobo at this point? Yeah, Bryce and Phil are kind of right on that same level for me. Um, I think, man, it's just hard for me to imagine that there's enough running backs out there that are better than Phil. Uh, I know he's undersized, but especially in today's NFL where you need those multiple backs you can catch out of the backfield, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of smaller backs in the NFL that have success there. I I mean, I think he should be drafted, but it's the NFL, and they usually do stupid stuff where they just draft, well, this this guy's 230, so he's better. I want Philip Lindsay to get NFL paychecks, and and he deserves that, but... Part of me kind of worries that if he sticks in the NFL long-term, his body is going to be ruined, and he's not going to be walking right when he's 50 years old. Does that concern you at all? I mean, he's the way he he practices and plays. He's definitely not going to go 90% ever, so yeah, he's going to take a beating. I don't know, running backs don't make it that long typically, so I I would just love to see him make a team for a year or two just because his love for football and he deserves it. Yeah. Well, we're looking for a, a sponsor for this podcast. If you have any interest, reach out to me. Email is adamcm777 at yahoo.com. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Tyler, I kind of teased this earlier. Black and gold, Josh asks, put yourselves in Mike McIntyre's shoes. 
what's the benefit of closing spring practices again, considering it worked so well for you last year? What McIntyre is probably thinking? Distractions, but it's crazy because you're playing football games in front of 50,000 people. If a couple fans in practice distracts your team, that's an issue. I get you. I, I'm not answering the question properly because now I'm going back to my thoughts on it. But Mike McIntyre is probably just thinking, I don't want the distraction in there, right? I honestly have no explanation for what he's thinking, to be honest. I think it's outrageous. Um, especially, I mean, I understand maybe not letting fans in just because it's a lot easier to restrict. But, I mean, if he was to just say, okay, Brian, you're allowed in. Adam, you're allowed in. Like, he knows who you are. If there's anybody that doesn't look like Brian and doesn't look like Adam, you don't let him in. You know what I mean? It's simple. And whatever he tells you to not write, you're not going to do it. So, to me, it's just absurd. It makes your job extremely impossible, basically. It alienates the fan base that can't get any access to the team that they're supposed to be caring about and spending thousands of dollars on every single year. It, I see absolutely no benefit to it other than, okay, maybe someone's videotaping your practice. And no one cares, man. Like, that just doesn't actually happen. And even if it does, what are they going to learn? It's six months before the football season. I've been surprised at how many people have told me I feel less engaging in this program ever since they started closing practices. I mean, I feel that way as a reporter. It obviously bugs me, but I've been surprised again that just how many fans feel disconnected as well. Pretty much everybody you talk to. I I literally was not prepared for football last year because we didn't get to see anything. It's just like, I don't know anything about this team. I don't really care as much about this team. It's, you know, like people have other things to do in their lives and telling them that you have no interest in keeping them engaged in your program is a good way to lose people. Now, it should be pointed out, this is just this is a trend in college football in general where even at USC, where your brother works, they had one of the more open policies, and then last year they shut it up. So it's not just CU that's doing this. It's unfortunate, and it, it seems like it's one of those trends where when it goes to closing things up, I, I don't know if it ever goes back the other direction. I don't know what would happen maybe I mean a coaching change obviously could maybe yeah. uh, do that. Alright, we'll move on. NYTJ Buff fan asked about recruiting needs for the 2019 class. And he also asked, do you believe the roster has been sig- sufficiently gap filled to avoid another large junior college class in 2019? Sometimes it's hard to predict the the JUCO thing, but it does seem like next year they wouldn't need to sign quite as many. Right, yeah. They Senior class is smaller, junior class is smaller. I mean, you, I think you're relying a little more heavily on these up these lower class guys to come in and play more productive minutes for you long term. Yeah, if, JUCO is, you don't really look at it two years out, right? You use JUCO guys when, okay, look, we obviously have a hole here we need to fill moving forward, like for next year. Um, so it's kind of a last minute decision when you need to fill some of those gaps. It's hard to be like, okay, in two years I need two JUCO linemen. Because yeah. you don't know how it plays out. Yeah, it's like if guys you're expecting to develop and become really good players don't have that development, right. then, oh, shoot, we got to go recruit a JUCO guy. In terms of the 2019 needs, I think there's four, and the biggest is probably inside linebacker. Rick Gamboa and Drew Lewis are both entering their senior season. You've got some younger guys there, Nate Lamon, Akil Jones, John Van Deest, and Clyde Moore, but those are the only scholarship guys that are going to be left after this year. And that's a position where you're fielding two guys at a time. So they're going to need to bring in uh, a couple talented guys there. 
Safety is going to be a need. Four of the 10 scholarship safeties on the roster are seniors, and it's a position where now the Buffs field three guys a vast majority of the time. So uh, nose tackles, another big need. Javier Edwards is going to be a senior. Lyle Tuiloma is going to be a junior. Jalen Sammy is the only underclassman there. And then maybe not as big a pressing need, but Tim Lenat Jr., Aaron Hagler, Isaac Miller, Brett Tons, and Dylan Middlemas are all juniors now on the offensive line, and that's an area you don't ever want to fall behind. There was that one spring, I think it was under Dan Hawkins, where they had six offensive linemen on scholarship. <laughs> you can't have that ever happen again. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like they're doing a pretty good job of getting at least three a class. Uh, but, yeah, with that five graduating, you might have to take a fourth for two years in a row or something like that. Buffnick won. Did you have anything you wanted to add there in terms of No, I, those are all right along the same lines of what I would have gone with. Buffnick one asked, what position depth chart battles do you think are most vital this spring and which ones might not get settled until fall camp? I'm thinking most of these battles are going into fall camp. Right. But one interesting thing, I think when you have a new D-line coach come in there, just to kind of see who he's given the most reps at the end of spring ball with the number ones is going to be interesting. Chris Malumba is probably a front runner there, but uh, I could even see Lyle Tuiloma battling Edwards for that nose tackle job. Yeah, I think you know the trenches are the are the obvious answer here, both offensive line and defensive line. Getting those solidified as quickly as possible with guys you trust would be big for next year. Uh, I think without those two being at least competent, the rest of the team is going to struggle to find success because if it, people can just run on you for six yards of carry, I mean, corner's not fixing that, right? So that's you have to get that short up first. If you can't run the ball or you can't protect your quarterback, nothing else really matters. So I think those two have to improve this year for this team to get better. Uh, to me, I think the cornerback battle will be a little bit interesting too, um, mm-hmm. how that plays out. Um, offensively, I think how the wide receiver starting lineup shakes out will be interesting. I think all five of those guys we know will play a lot, but I'm interested to see which ones of the three that we see out there more often than not. Yeah. I think we can pretty much assume Jay McIntyre and Katie Nixon are your your top slot guys, Mm -hmm. but at wide receiver, I'm really curious to see who gets the most reps with the first team between Winfrey, Ento, Chenault, and Tony Brown. Uh, I think you're going to rotate a little bit more at receiver, wide receiver than you did last year. In terms of not settled until fall camp, running back, obviously, because Trayvon McMillan's not on campus until the summer. Backup quarterback will be interesting between Sam yeah. Neuer and, and Tyler Lytle. But again, I don't think you don't, if you've got your starting quarterback, you're not in a hurry to name the backup in, in spring. Yeah. So that's something that'll go into fall camp. Yeah, they'll let those guys kind of battle it out for months at a time, probably. Curious to if Davion Taylor really looks the part of Buff Backer from day one. That could be a spring one. Yeah, just that Buff Backer in general, obviously, with Ryan Miller going down, who's the guy they plan to use in that position the most. Another one that won't be uh, settled until fall camp is obviously outside linebacker because, again, Alex Changham, another guy that's not going to be on campus till the summer. But I think between Sparocco, Collier, and Follow, you'll get some kind of pecking order out of the spring there. Mm-hmm. Dorno 9 asked, do you know why or have you ever asked McIntyre why he does not use social media anymore? Seems like Twitter is the chosen media for recruits and marketing your program, but he has not used his since 2016. Excuse me, 2016. Isn't that kind of the time he stopped doing it is when Darren Chavarini came on board? Maybe that's why he kind of handed the torch over to yeah, him. I mean, I feel like I don't know this for a fact, but it, I don't see a whole lot of active head coaches on Twitter. Um, I mean, obviously Lane Kiffin being the one obvious 
difference there. Um, there's other guys who use it occasionally, but I think it's definitely more of a recruiting coordinator slash assistant guy, you know, more of the personable recruiting guys. And obviously use McIntyre as more of a closer. Um, I, I just don't think that head coach time-wise and also personality-wise, a lot of those times they're, you know, it's usually an older coach as well. Um, so they, they just don't use the social media platforms nearly as much. Yeah. And the assistant coaches are doing the DM stuff with recruits, and then McIntyre seems to be somebody that just prefers to get them on the phone, which, again, if, if you didn't have guys on your staff doing the social media side of things, that would be a huge issue. But mm-hmm. kind of to your point, I don't think the head coach necessarily has to be the one doing it. Vin Buff fan 33 had a number of questions. We covered some of the topics he was asking about. So for the sake of time, I picked out a few of them. Number one, he asked, there seems to be a lot of optimism growing around the program. Are you buying into it? What do you consider a good record next year? It is a change. Last year, because of the whole Tumpkin saga, it was a lot of negative stuff going on. This year, with some of the coaching changes, uh, holding off other Power 5 teams for some of these recruits leading up to signing day, it does seem like there is a lot more optimism. And it's probably yeah. well-founded just because there's been better news. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and we knew they were going to take a step back last year. We just didn't know how big the step was going to be, right? So it's hard to get optimistic when you know pretty much for a certainty that we're going to go backwards somewhere. Um, this year, I feel like there's a chance that we won't be great again if they don't get the trenches figured out. But there's also in the a leadership that, void too. Yeah, I think there's a chance that they can improve as well. So obviously, you know, hope springs eternal. Always, people are going to, you know. Uh, Cling to that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think coaching staff-wise, they got three good guys. I think for the second year in a row, they have a pretty solid recruiting class. Now people are trying to crush them because they fell at the end. Like, you, you did you think no one else was going to sign people? <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. Uh, you liked the class before other people signed them. Why would it be any different? <laughs> you know, just because of where it's ranked, that's not how it should be measured. I think we got better, and that's what's important. In terms of a good record, I think if I offered a seven and five season to CU fans, ninety percent of them would take that. Oh yeah, I would certainly take that. I think any getting to a bowl game is obviously a step forward, and that's what you're looking for long term. I think even I said this last year, and I'll say it again this year. Regardless of what happens this year, I feel really good about the pipeline of this program and where the where the talent level is compared to where it was three, four, five years ago. So I still feel that way. So I try not to look at just one season as what kind of job is this staff doing? Uh, now obviously, they probably will be graded on that job if we don't make a bowl game again. I think we can expect some changes. But whoever comes into a place will be in a pretty good position, certainly a far better position than Mack was when he arrived. Another question here was, does the Pac-12 bowl record mean anything, or is it just one of those things that happen? <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't a good look. Now, there were quite a few Pac-12 programs going through coaching changes, which makes it a little tougher to prepare for a bowl game. But... It definitely shows that the Pac-12 is taking a step back as a conference. Yeah, I think we already knew the Pac-12 was bad prior to the bowl season. <laughs> it's not quite as bad. Though. Right, I didn't expect it to do that. But, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's obviously a small sample size. They were only favored in one game, I think. So people expected them to not have a good year in the bowl games. I mean, sure. I mean, bowl games, the big ones matter. The small ones don't really so much, in my opinion. Um and the Pac-12 has a lot of work to do in terms of getting better. I mean, that's why we, I, everyone was, like, trying to sneak USC into the playoff picture at the end of the season. It's just like, you guys are on trucks. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good league. They underperformed. I don't see how they deserve to get in. And you saw based on their bowl performance that they, they just weren't good enough. And that's, you know, they got to improve there. We had some other football questions. Uh, a few of them I didn't really have the answer to, so I'll look into that. So if we didn't answer your question, uh, it's something that I'll look into. It doesn't make for a great podcast listening to, for me to read a question and say I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're going to transition to men's basketball talk in VinBuff. Fan33 had some more questions on the basketball side of things. Number one, is there a chance for this team to make the dance? What do you think they need to do to make it? Do you think it happens? No, no, no. I mean, yeah, technically there is a chance. I think if they go 6-1 and one down the stretch of conference play, they would be in a good position to make the tournament. Now, I don't think they're going to do that. Right. So it's not really worth arguing or discussing. Uh, but yes, if they found a way somehow to go six and one in these final, well, I guess now five and one because they uh, this I was talking about this before they beat Cal. So if they finish five and one, yes, we can start to have that discussion. Uh, the reason being for it is that their RPI numbers are already pretty good. They're actually sitting sixty three, sixty three or sixty four yeah. last okay. I saw. So if they finish six and one, they're going to have two road wins, and they'll probably finish somewhere in the top fifty, which would make them look. Like they're in pretty good shape now. The people forget like the difference between six and one and five and two in basketball is massive because all of these teams are so congested that one win can really make the difference, move you up against or behind five or six different teams at a time. So I think anything below that, you can pretty much guarantee they're not going to get in. I think the better question here is what do they need to do to secure an NIT right berth? Yeah, and I, again, kind of settling to my point, I think you if you go less than five and two, you're going to be nervous. Really? Yeah, or now four and two. Yeah, because I mean, if you're if you finish three and three, we're seventeen and thirteen, which is. But again, yeah. high high RPI. Yeah, but it, it, you're kind of bringing yourself to the mercy of the smaller conferences because people forget in the NIT there's only thirty two teams that make it, and if you're a number one seed in your conference tournament and you lose and don't make the NCAA tournament, you're an auto bid into the NIT. So now, if most of those teams win and there's only four or five teams that are automatically put into the NIT field, maybe your odds get better. But most of the time, it's closer to 10 or 12 teams that get themselves in that position, and then there's less seats. It used to be that if you were in a major conference and you had a winning record, you were pretty much guaranteed to get in the NIT. When did that change? Uh, I think it's, well, there's more teams in the NCAA tournament now, four more, so that bumps you out four more. And then the NIT uh, started... Take So, again, they started taking those automatic qualifiers from the other conferences, and I think there's just more of an emphasis on, okay, these smaller schools aren't getting into the um, NCAA tournament. We need to put a 25-win team in over a 17-win team. Okay. He also asked, which player has been the biggest surprise so far on this team? Uh, Dallas Walton, for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably the easiest answer ever. I mean, you could say um, McKinley Wright, but I we was, thought he was going to be pretty darn right. good. And, and, I, and I will say that I, have prob- I was probably a bigger Dallas Walton fan than most going into the year. I thought long-term he had a chance to be very successful. I would say he's already better now than I, than I expected from him as a junior. He's a legitimate Pac-12 center today, which is amazing given his injury history and how little basketball he's played over the last three years. If he stays healthy and can continue, he obviously did a lot of upper body strength work in the offseason. If he can get that level of workout done on his lower half and become more stout, 
he's going to be a legitimate all-conference type of guy by the time he's an upperclassman. I truly think that. Do you think his emergence makes you feel like you almost kind of want Troy Miller to ride off into the no, sunset? Or no, you still not. would like him back? Yeah, I mean, if Dallas is in trouble, what do you do? I mean, you see, if he's not in the game right now, we're too small. We've got guys like Lucas Seward getting crushed on the glass because that's just a tough – it's hard for to ask Lucas Seward to do that. They're playing Lazar Nikolic a lot because they need more size when Dallas is out too. Yeah, I mean, having having more big guys is always good in college because whether you have foul trouble or injuries, it's always nice to be able to run out a guy you know that can rebound. And I think they, I think what's nice is they play well together. They come, they, it's not like you have two guys who are soft and shooter – like the, you know, they like to score outside the paint. Um, Dallas is a much better passer. Tori's they're not going to run a play for Tori ever. They already run plays for Dallas. Tori's a rebounder. He's a little more explosive defensively, blocking shots. Um, and I think they complement each other's games very well. So I think them playing together would be dangerous. Which here, here's his last question: Which Pac-12 teams have impressed so far, and which Pac-12 teams have disappointed? Also, how many Pac-12 teams go to the dance? Who are your uh, biggest surprises? Well, Arizona State, even though they've fallen off of late, had they had a big win last night, got lucky. USC totally choked the end of that game, which was crazy. Um, but, you know, they're at 6-6 six and six in conference. They're in a decent spot to make the tournament. I think people knew they would be improved. I think they're, they went from being way better than people expected to now I think they're kind of where people expected in, where they're playing in conference play. But the whole package, they're obviously in better shape than expected. Washington is one of the most impressive teams I've watched all year, especially given what people expected of them. I really like Noah Dickerson. Jalen Noel is a stud who doesn't get enough credit for how good he's been as a freshman in Washington. And they just have a lot of nice complimentary pieces. Matisse Teibel is not a guy who scores a ton of points, but one of the best defenders in the whole entire country, in my opinion. Uh, They're fun, and they got smoked last night, but I still think they're probably going to make the tournament. And... Most people had them finishing in the bottom three of the league, so they've been super impressive. Oregon, in terms of disappointed? Uh, I'm not all, all that surprised, honestly. They lost a ton of talent. Uh, people, the expectations were that they were going to be pretty good. I didn't love them. I, I did pick them to make the tournament, uh, so they're definitely more disappointing than I thought, but I'm not super surprised. Arizona and USC are both disappointments to me. They were supposed to be top five teams. Neither of them are top five teams. Uh, now obviously USC is missing D'Anthony Melton, which is a big part of what they do. But they just haven't been consistent. Uh, they haven't been all that impressive. I mean, right now they're not even a lock to make the tournament, which is ridiculous given how much talent they still have there. And lastly, how many teams go into the big dance from the Pac-12? Well, for sure Arizona's getting in. Um, the other four, honestly, there's no guarantees. I would say the guy, people in consideration are Washington, Arizona State, USC and UCLA. I think it's safe to say that at least two of those teams will weed each other in and out, and so at least three will make it. I think probably the most likely scenario is that four get in. All right. 1ALCD said, what will Evan Batty add to the team next year? A starting five of Wright, Wright, Bay, Walton, and either Seward or Batty seems like they could score in so many ways, but can he win the starting job? Well, first off, we got to find out about this medical situation. Uh, there's been nothing definitive to report on there yet. Uh, it sounds like he's gone for a bunch of tests. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a scary deal. Uh, we, yeah, when you don't know what's going on. Yeah. But if he's healthy, I mean, he 
definitely is going to be in the rotation. Um, but yeah, yeah, he'll be in the conversation for the starting job. I think so. I mean, if he, yeah, if he's healthy and they feel confident about him, and I mean, he, he they're right. He's very versatile. He can do a lot of different things for you. He's obviously gotten in much better shape, uh, which makes it even more dangerous. I think. Um, do you think? I mean, we don't know this, but. When you lose that much weight that fast, maybe that had something to do with his health issues? Uh, it's possible, yeah. I mean, I, I would just be guessing. You know, I'm not really sure. But it seems like he's been doing a lot better of late, which is good. We haven't heard much about it, which I think is promising. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to say. I mean, if, if I'll just act on the hope that he's healthy and say that, yeah, between him, Miller, and Dallas Walton – that's a really solid big man trio that you can use in a lot of different ways. There's, you're going to be able to create a lot of mismatches with teams in the Pac-12. If if all if Tory comes back and Evan is fully healthy, this is a tournament team next year. Buff in Vegas asked, with Lazar and Nikolic's uh, lack of foot speed to cover guards, where do you see him fitting in on the defensive end of the court, assuming we aren't playing a zone defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously not his strength. Uh, he's been better at times than I expected. He's also been terrible at times defensively. Uh, it's a little bit of a transition for him. I mean, they're asking him to start right now, which, quite frankly, is unfair. He, he should not be starting, and I don't know why I continue to keep doing that. It's a lot of pressure on a kid who's not really ready for this level yet. Um, he does a lot of things very solid, though. I mean, I think as an upperclassman, if he continues to develop, he can be a really solid bench guy for you. You can create some mismatches with his size. He's a good rebounder if you want to play him in a smaller lineup. Uh, so there's some ways that you can use him. But, yeah, I mean, he obviously has some deficiencies. Buff in Vegas also asked, with the emergence of McKinley Wright, how much easier is it to recruit? If it is easier, is there some buyer's remorse about the commits we have for 2019? Could or should we have more highly rated players that we are going after with so few scholarships available? Well, those are actually 2018 signees, so 2019 recruiting. They haven't uh, gotten any commits for that yet. Uh, the emergence of McKinley Wright makes it easier to recruit because you're going to win more basketball games yeah. the next yeah. you know, three, three and a half years. Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to frame it. I mean, I don't think anybody's calling Colorado and being like, I want to play with McKinley Wright. That's not how it usually happens, unless you maybe like a guy from Minnesota that knows him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think this team is primed to be very successful the next few years, which, as you've mentioned, makes it easier to recruit big names. Uh, I think it's we've gotten into this weird situation with this 18 class where they don't – neither of the guys get a lot of pub. They're not that highly recruited. Uh, but I personally think it's a very solid class that has a chance to fill in some pretty significant gaps for this team. Um and we'll have to see. I mean, we need to go. We need to go watch them play and yeah, uh, get a little bit more of a better assessment. But I think, especially the kid in Texas, um, is better than people are giving him credit for. He is better, and Damon Coons more than held his own when he was playing pickup with the current players last summer. I think that's what made them feel really comfortable in, in signing him. So I don't think there's necessarily buyer's remorse there. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I think they feel good about it in there. I think they're, they kind of feel happy that this class is a little bit unheralded right now, uh, because I think both of those guys you're trying to come in and replace Lazar and Del Wright. I mean Del Brown, and obviously name on right down the line as well. And I think both of those kids have the potential to be just as good as those two prospects at least.
So CU's 14 and 10 overall right now, 6 and 6 in Pac-12 play. With your preseason expectations for this team, uh, you know, where, where would you have them 24 games in? Well, I had them 8 and 4 in non-conference, which they were, right? I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and I, had, I, yes, picked them to, I picked them to go 7-11 and 11 in Pac-12 play. So they're definitely ahead of schedule for me. I had them going 15-15 and 15 and missing the NIT. So uh, I've talked about multiple times that they're ahead of schedule for me, that they've been better than I expected. Uh, that's 100% true. McKinley was even better than I expected. Dallas Walton, I think, is the main reason this team is where it's at right now, uh, especially given the injury of Torrey. Uh, so I think at this point it's probably safe to say they're finishing – Probably nine and nine is the most realistic number. So they're going to be a couple games ahead of what I projected. They still might miss the NIT with that. We'll see. It'll be close. Uh, but yeah, I mean, anybody who's telling you this team has done anything but exceed expectations wasn't paying any attention. A big game for their NIT chances is uh, this Sunday at home against Stanford, 2 p.m. tip-off. Stanford's currently 7-5. and five. There's only two games right now separating the second-place team in the Pac-12 and the ninth-place team in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's, it's very bunched up. It is, yeah. It's not, again, like football, not a great league. Uh, the two teams that everybody thought were going to be really good aren't as good as they expected either, so everything is kind of congested. Even, even the bad teams in the league aren't. As bad, I think, as people expected. Either Washington State and Cal are not good, but I think holding their own a little bit more so than people expected. Washington was expected to be bad, and they're quite a bit better. Uh, so there's just there's a lot of jumbled mixture in the middle of that league where anybody's going to beat anybody on pretty much any given night. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Pac-12 seeding for tournament is going to be uh, – a hell of an adventure, I think. We could see some, like, four teams at 9-9 nine and nine where it's, <laughs> you could be a three-seater at the seventh. Yeah. As Tad Boyle put it, they dodged a bullet in their last game against Cal. 19 turnovers, gave up 18 offensive rebounds. Obviously, like he said, if that happens again on Sunday, they're not beating Stanford. But let's assume they show up and, and it's the CU team we've seen in most home games this year. How do you see them matching up against the Cardinals? Uh, it's not a great matchup, for sure. Uh, Dejon Davis is a big guard. He's probably going to give McKinley Wright a little bit of trouble. Reed Travis, obviously, is the most physical big man in the entire conference. Again, without Torrey, that's not a great matchup for us. Um, they're super inconsistent, though. I mean, they're a team that a lot of people picked to make the tournament this year, including me. I had them last four in. They started non-conference play. And as a, Basically, they were a joke for most of their early part of the season. Uh, they've been pretty good throughout Pac-12 play so far this year. I think most people would say they're one of the four or five best teams in the league, but their overall record doesn't suggest that. Uh, it w- again, it would be huge for their NIT chances if they found a way to win. It's a home game they probably should win, you know, just because of that home factor, but Stanford's pretty good. Don't let their record fool you. The game I'm most looking forward to, and I think there's a lot of CU fans <laughs> that, that would agree with me here, is going to be Wednesday, February 21st at 8.30 p.m. USC coming to, to town. Uh, is USC now CU's rival in the Pac-12, at least as long as Andy Ed Enfield is their head coach? I don't think so. Because, at least for this game, it's going to have a right, rival yeah, Enfield. For, yeah, for this game, I agree. It would certainly will. But, I mean, I think Arizona is – if you ask everybody who they look at the most, it's definitely going to be Arizona. I would honestly put Arizona State in that list as well. There's a lot of history between those two programs in those games. Those are physical matchups. USC is typically not all that physical of a team, so they don't. 
I don't think we've seen as much drama involved with them in years past. But yeah, I mean, this year it's going to be a little bit more of so, which is cool. Ted Boyle said, I'm going to remember that timeout they called. What, what do you think he does? Nothing. <laughs> Really? No. I mean, unless unless he's, they're going to have to be up by like twenty. <laughs> you know, like there's he's so not. He just does the same thing. Not. He calls a timeout late. Yeah. If if we get to that point, I'm not nothing. That just doesn't really seem like Tad's deal. <laughs> but yeah, the, the student section is going to have to bring it that game for sure. And I could see the people, the kids on the court. I could see there could be some. I mean, McKinley Wright is a bulldog. Like it, it, there there could be some issues there. Um, Tyler, but. Tyler Bay does not seem to have too much trouble getting into the nonsense as well. So, yeah, I mean, that part could be interesting, but it's not really Tad's game. So I I don't see him being super involved with it. Anything else with CU, Pac-12 men's basketball, you want to get off your chest here? I mean, the officials are a joke, but we don't (laughs) go on that too far. That's always been the case, though. I know. It's crazy that they can't find a solution to this. The last game, the Cal game, was horribly officiated. And the one guy who was horrible is normally good. So I was just sitting there scratching my head like, come on, man. Like, you're the only guy I can rely on typically. You're out here embarrassing yourself. <laughs> so, so you've been told to, to, to shut your, your mouth a few times? Oh, yeah. Always. What's great is Do you do that? it in a nice way or is it really aggressive the was, way they, they the warn security? you? The security? Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's very direct. <laughs> I'm just like, I haven't, the, the last time it happened, I hadn't even said anything for like an hour. So <laughs> I don't know what... I don't know what that what they they told the scores table I guess, but like I, I was just say like if you don't want me to complain about you don't suck at your job. So. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show. It was good catching up. Uh, I guess we'll do another one pretty shortly. Spring football is starting, but again, we're not really going to get to see anything. Ah, let's go find a nice rooftop with some binoculars. <laughs> maybe like a drone would maybe be a good. Nice. That'd be good. We could go into that nice little patio in the football stadium and pretend like we're construction workers, cleaning the floors. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's it for the show. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) First things first, I'm going to say all the words inside my head. I'm fired up and tired of the way that things have been. From a young age, taking my soak into the masses, writing my poems for the few that look at me, took to me, shook at me, feeling me, singing from heartache, from the pain, taking my message from the